All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Inside Wall Street. Today with us, Chief Educator at Benzinga Options School, Chris Capri is going to be here with us today. How are you doing, Chris? Very good. And yourself? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. There's so much here to cover. Um, a lot of interesting topics here and facts that you, you seem to be as someone that has an interesting background. Um, let's just uh, start from the beginning here. Uh, I'd say, uh, Chris, how did you get into trading? Yeah. So 2000, 2001, I was uh, a full-time yoga teacher. And so I wasn't on any necessary particular career path at that time. I had graduated at the university with a bachelor's in philosophy and I was finishing up my undergrad in neuroscience while going for my master's in philosophy. And I decided to take a break from uh, kind of like my dual degrees and uh, you know went to California to spend some time out there and just kind of work on some personal things in my life that I felt like needed to go in a different direction. And so I started teaching yoga meditation after I got into it for about a year. And, uh, you know, you realize very quickly that like, okay, unless I go down a very specific career path in yoga, this is not going to bring me the financial means to really do the things that I want to do in life. And it's not that I wanted like 10 Ferraris or anything like that. It's more of like, I realize I have to build up a financial portfolio to really achieve and accomplish and do some of the things I want to do in my life at that time. So I started getting into just trading stocks and mutual funds at the very, very beginning. This is early 2000, 2001, before the dot-com bubble. Um, but you know, in the process, I had started working with a client, and he was a radiologist who had retired early. He sold technology, a radiology technology, to Kodak for like you know millions and millions of dollars. Like he was a decamillionaire several times over. And as I was working with him one day, he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey." I was reading this book and I've never had this before, but I had this strange intuition that you need to read this book. I have a feeling that you need to read this book. This is something that you need to do. Book. And the book was about currency trading at that time. And it was a story about an American who is an athlete and he kind of doesn't know what to do after college, very much like me. And he ended up getting a job working for an outfit in Japan, trading currencies that led to some incredible stories and experiences in his life. And I read the book and I felt like, oh yeah, I definitely want to try this out. And so keep in mind, this is like early 2000s, 2001, 2002, 2000. This is the early part of the, that decade. And so very little websites on the planet about trading FX or stocks or options or anything like that. And so I had to just kind of teach myself. So I got a demo account back then. And I the moment I opened of the demo account in the platform, I just instantly lit up and I knew, I just felt like this made sense to me. Like there was just something about the platform, like, hey, I understand the language. I feel like I can read the charts. I feel like whatever was in this platform made sense to me. It just like clicked instantly. And a month later I went live with a $3,000 account. And by six months later, that account was $83,000. And so I had had just kind of a wild start into trading at that time. And I felt like, yeah, you know, whatever this is, this is my path to achieving the financial means that I want to in my life. That's interesting. And well, Chris, you've been trading for about like 20 years around so are there, right? Yeah, I think it's like 21 years plus now at this point. It's hard to keep track. So yeah. <laughs> so 
take us uh, to the beginning of that journey and uh, like, you know, the, the first couple of years, right? You know, how things were. And uh, um, I don't know, what are we? We're on like in 2022. So that was like in the 2000s. So was that like by the bubble, the dot-com bubble? Did you start when? The- yeah, I started right before the bubble. And then, you know, in some sense, the bubble happening, you know, that was like 2001 that everything started to explode at that point. You know, and that was the tech bubble and the dot-com bubble. And in some sense, it was a tough lesson because I had known a lot of people that were heavily invested in stocks and were losing money hand over fist when the bubble exploded. But it was also a good experience because you're talking the first few years of my trading and I didn't learn the kind of, there's a lot of traders that have come in the last few years that have been told by YouTubers or other people like Dave Portnoy that stocks always go up. And I didn't get that education right off the bat. The first year I was in the markets, the stocks sold off and they sold off for over a year. So, you know, I learned very early on that stocks don't always go up, that stocks go down and they can go down very, you know, you could say impulsively or violently or intensely. And, you know, that kind of taught me the expression that there's a very common expression in the markets, which is the markets take the stairs up and they take the elevator down. And so, you know, I learned very early on that markets have both bull and bear markets. I didn't come into the markets with the idea that stocks always go up. And I think that's given me a massive advantage because when the markets do go down, I feel prepared to be able to trade to the bear side. And so it wasn't that just stocks went down at that time. Shortly after in the FX market, the euro dollar, which had been on a several year bull trend, started to sell off. And so again, it was another indication that markets, you know, don't always go in one direction, they go in both directions. And that was an advantage of trading currencies, because currencies do go in both directions, where stocks, while traditionally, they have an upward bias, stocks do have periods where they go down. And sometimes those periods can be quite long. So yeah, that was the early, you know, 2000, the first few years of 2000s. And it was a great experience for me to kind of get that education to be able to trade both directions and learn that markets can move both directions at any time. Yeah. And then in uh, shortly right there, 2004, FX broker for FXCM working on Wall Street. So uh, take us through a little bit of that experience there for the folks, considering this is a very interesting time for trading, comparing to where we are now in this market with the new meme stocks and whole different type of you know things we're seeing here. Yeah, this is a great question. So it's late 2003. I've had a pretty amazing bull run on my FX account. I turned 3000 into $83,000 in a period of six months. And I was just hitting everything, like 70, 80 plus percent accurate trading. My first trade, totally over leveraged, had no idea about leverage, had no idea about risk management. I had risked a standard lot in FX, which is $1,000 for every 100 pips. And I did that on a $3,000 account. And I was literally risking about 100 pips on the trade. So if I had lost, I would have lost 33% of my account in one shot. Luckily, my first trade was 124 pip winner. So my $3,000 account by day, at the end of day one, was 4,200. And that just kind of kicked off a winning streak for me that just kept going and going and going. So you're talking like almost a 30x return on the account. So I get to $83,000 and I start to do the math and I'm thinking, hey, if this continues at this rate, this account's going to be $160,000 in a few months. And by the end of next year, it's going to be like about three, four hundred thousand dollars. Is that should have been the sign if I had had experience? That should have been the sign that I need to kind of like pump the brakes and maybe realize I don't know much about Marcus as I think I do. And so the next day, I start looking for Lamborghinis and cars to buy and things like that because I feel like, hey, I'm going to have no problem paying cash for these in a matter of months. So I started checking out cars to buy, walked down Ven Ness, looked at all the dealerships, and that night I placed the trade, totally over leveraged, very poor risk management, and I lost like $25,000 in a matter of minutes. So imagine you take six months to build up, you know, three to $83,000, and then you lose $25,000 in a matter of minutes. And that just created kind of a shock and a pullback in my performance 
And pretty soon I'm down like $50,000 in no time. And so that made me realize, okay, I don't know as much about markets as I think I do. And I need to get training. But there's no training at that time. This is like late 03, now early 04. There's just no training at that time. And I saw an ad in the paper for uh, looking for brokers, FX brokers, because FX was taking off at that time. FX was blowing through the roof. And it was a job at FXCM. And I interviewed it. And I had no experience, no business class, whatever. But I felt like I just gave a really good interview. And the next day they called me and they said, we want to hire you. We're going to fly you out to New York. You're going to work on Wall Street. We're going to pay for travel. We're going to pay for your housing. We're going to pay for all this. Come work for us. And so I took the job and that just started this totally different phase in my career from just being a trader who didn't know anything to all of a sudden becoming an FX broker on Wall Street. And keep in mind at that time in 04, Forex was the kind of hottest market at that time. You had volatility, you had movement, you had differentials in yields. Like they were kind of beating stocks hand over fist at that time. Stocks are great, you know, up till the dot com. But then after the dot com, a lot of people lost taste and flavor with the stock market. For sure. Because yeah. they just lost so much in a short period of time. So people were looking for other markets to get into. And FX was only new. FX was only available to the retail trading world in like late 98. So it's still this new market. Stocks have been around forever. But then people were exhausted because they lost a lot of money in the dot com. So the money was moving into FX at that time. And you're talking trillions of dollars is moving in the FX market, you know, per day. Yeah, and it totally makes sense that people move to other things whenever that happens. But, you know, more recently, we haven't really had at least, you know, I'm I'm a newer trader. I've been trading for about three years. So I really have never seen a year of, a, a, you know, a bear market, as they call it, like back in those days. So it's just it seems like it can't happen. But then it's like, you know, real, right? It can happen. I think that's common for the human condition that when something doesn't happen for a while, they tend to think that things won't happen until they do. Like probably before COVID, nobody had ever thought in our lifetime, you know, I'm almost 50. And so I had never thought that I would see a global pandemic, you know, through some biological health scare. Like that was something you saw in movies, but things do happen. And I think that's, you know, the only differences in markets is that they happen probably when people least expect it as a whole. And, you know, we've had a great bull market before COVID. We had had a great bull market for years that was pretty uninterrupted with only minor, you know, 10, 20% pullbacks. So when COVID hit, it was something new. But since COVID, you know, for two years after COVID, the markets just went in one direction. You know, that was easy mode. So it's very, if you haven't had a lot of experience in the markets, then you don't really see all the different conditions that can happen. And I've seen a lot of conditions. You know, I traded through, you know, the September 9-11. I traded through the dot-com bust. I had actually traded through, you know, the London terrorist bombings, which was a learning experience that if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have different ideas about how to relate to certain th events like that in the future experience matters all right so you went through that at uh fxcm there right so you, you yeah. start up there and then in 2006 you become a funded trader for the jnf fund and you also yes. train traders and students there so how was that experience yeah so while i was a broker on for fxcm i i you know i expanded my duties massively there because i was just super hungry i had never had a job in finance before and i realized that working for a brokerage was a massive opportunity to see the market from the inside out so i tried to take on as much work as possible. I literally worked like 80 to 100 hour weeks every week for like two years and literally only took one vacation that entire two years. So I used it as an opportunity. And throughout that process, I got opportunities to teach classes to the other brokers, but then also to the clients as well. And that just started to expand. I didn't apply for a teaching job with them, but they had me teach classes. In that process of going through these workshops and expos all over the country, I had run into, you know, this hedge fund outfit several times. They were an FX 
Equifax hedge fund at that time. And we just kind of run into each other and talked and it was, you know, had some very cordial conversations. But, you know, at the time, you know, they wanted me to come over to them after talking with them and I wasn't interested. I liked my brokerage job. But in 2006, you know, a window opened where I was like, you know what, maybe this is a good time to take that opportunity. So I had joined them as a trader and, you know, I was a funded trader for them. I got a book like literally within the first week, I got my own book within the first week. And in the process of going through their program, their trainer trading program, I had been offered, hey, you seem pretty good at this. Do you want to teach classes to the younger students as well? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And so that kind of was the next extension of my teaching and trading career, trade the book for them, and then also teach the newer members. And so that was a year and that was a great experience because there my only focus was trading and teaching. I didn't have you know any sort of managerial responsibilities or team member responsibilities per se. It was just like, look, trade, make money, and then teach the new members and that's it. And it was great on many aspects to be surrounded by all these traders and talking trade ideas all day, talking markets all day sharing ideas all day. That's all we did. Um, but after a year of that, again, another window opened for me where now I've been in kind of the institutional world for three years. And I realized, you know what? I have my own style of trading that doesn't necessarily fit with everybody. And I also have my own style of teaching that doesn't necessarily fit with everybody. And so I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to go on my own in terms of my own trading and my own teaching. And so in 2007, I opened up Second Skies. And that was mostly in the beginning. It it was just the people who were in the hedge fund training program that wanted to keep working with me when I left. And all I did back then was just a weekly webinar, talked about the markets, gave trade ideas, answered questions, and that was it. And here it is 15 years later. And, you know, we've blown up into a very well-known, respected brand in the industry and someone that's provided quality education and trained many traders to become profitable. Like some of them have been funded by prop firms. Some of them have been funded by investors. Many of them are trading on their own now. That was was, you know, the hedge fund was great, but I also realized, you know, maybe I need some time on my own to kind of develop my own views and own ideas and develop my own methodologies to take things to the next level. Walk us through a normal day now uh, of your, you know, what in the Benzinga option school, you know, with the members, all that stuff. Walk us through a normal day in the school. My normal Monday through Friday trading day is I wake about 435 o'clock. And I have to get up early because I'm on the West Coast here. So the markets for me open up at 630. That means I have to be fully prepared and ready before I even get to the market open. I'm usually doing research on the markets, looking at, you know, positioning and options. What are the changes in the open interest, which is posted generally, you know, around midnight. So OPRA, that's the option pricing authority there. They're the ones who collect all the data on the option positioning and then update that it's around midnight Eastern. So when I wake up in the morning, I can see that adjustment in positioning and see, hey, where's the changes in positions and options in the markets going on? From there, after kind of collating that data, then I start to look at what's going on in Asia, what happened in Europe to see how that's influencing the current price action in the markets. And then I start making kind of ideas as to how do I want to trade the day? Is it going to be more or less volatile today? What are key support and resistance levels? What do I want to trade on the day? After I've done all that preparation, then I have to teach a class with my Second Skies members, but then at 7 a.m. Pacific, I I am now teaching the members in the Benzinga option school, which means that I will have to have already made my first day trades before I actually start teaching the Benzinga option school. So that's why I have to get up so early because I have to do all this preparatory work to have all my trades ready so that they can be like executed before I even start teaching. Because I don't like to be making trading decisions to, you know, stop the teaching to make trading decisions. I need all those to be done, you know, before I start teaching. So I'm just focusing on teaching. And so Monday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific, I'm teaching the Benzinga option school and 
and we do lessons on that day. We cover different lessons in the in the curriculum, and we do a lot of Q and A and a lot of examples in the markets. And it's really about teaching members a few things. One, how to make less bad trades and bad mistakes. Because if you aren't trained, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions. You're going to make a lot of bad mistakes. Just because simply you don't know. Nothing to do with IQ, nothing to do with skill. It's just you're not experienced. You don't have the training. And so that's my first job is to teach them the, the skills to make money trained to be a professional trader. After I've taught them the skills and the core lessons, then I have to teach them how to make less bad mistakes. And then I can start teaching them how to make better trades. And so that's kind of our morning, you know, until 9 a.m. Pacific, my time. After that, then I go back to trading. I take any new trades that set up there. I have my break, you know, for breakfast, basically, whatever I need to do at home. But then I go back to trading. I'm analyzing the market in real time. And then at noon, which is one hour before the market closes, the market closes at 1 p.m. here in California and in the West Coast, is that I have to make more my trades by that noon lesson because at noon to one, I'm teaching again in the Benzinga Options School. And we're doing open Q&A. We're doing live market analysis for them. We analyze student trade ideas in real time. So if they have a trade idea, hey, I want to be long calls or short calls at this strike and this expiry, we analyze all those trades. And it's a great thing for me to be doing because I don't want to be spending eight hours a day just hitting keys to generate income. If I do that, it means I'm a human ATM machine. And I don't want my life to be a human ATM machine and all about money. And so by taking breaks where I'm like trading for a few hours and then I'm teaching for a few hours, it allows my brain to kind of use a different set of skills. And it also allows me to train the next generation of traders and to have a positive impact and turn traders who are not profitable into profitable traders. It's incredibly rewarding. You know, it's always rewarding to make a good trade and to like hit a perfect trade, like the perfect timing you get in, you know, you're bullish. And the moment you get in within seconds, it launches higher. And then you get out when the momentum ends. That feels amazing. It feels amazing. Not just for the money that you made, the know that over 20 years, you've been building a skill that allows you to kind of throw that perfect pass, you know, like Tom Brady. That's what it feels like to me. But I don't want to be doing that all day. I have multiple, you know, desires and interests. And to be able to take this knowledge and help the next generation make less mistakes than I did and lose less money on those mistakes than I did makes me feel like I'm doing something good. And so to see them go from struggling traders to competent traders to profitable traders, that's a very rewarding aspect of the journey. And, you know, I do this because when I first started trading, there was nobody. There was nobody. There was no online classes. There was no Monday through Friday streams. Nobody was teaching this material about options back then. Nobody was teaching this material about price action back then. Nobody was teaching this material about risk management back then. And the only way to get this training was to pay five, ten thousand dollars in a workshop, you know, that was maybe once or twice a year or something like that. And so I didn't have that. And I had to go through a lot of painful lessons to get to where I am today. And so to be able to save people time and money doing that, it's an incredible joy for me. During your entire period in the markets, what would you say is the craziest thing you've seen in the markets? Um, flash crash and... I would say top three are flash crash, the COVID crisis. The the COVID crisis was unique because, you know, even Warren Buffett has been around forever. And in his long trading career, which is like seven decades, oh, maybe even eight, he himself has never traded through a global pandemic. Only people that were older than born Warren Buffett had traded through a global pandemic. So there's like no playbook or no experience in the markets for that at that time. Nobody had experience trading through a global pandemic. So that was unique. And it also really highlighted the impact of options, because if you look at actually when the market started selling off in the COVID crisis, the day it was like right after the monthly OPEX in February. 
And that's because traders had an immense amount of call positions and all these positions unwound in the market. And then traders flipped from net long calls to net long puts, which exacerbated the downside. If you also look at the bottom in the COVID crisis, it was after the March OPEX. So traders, particularly BlackRock and all these others, had unwound these massive put positions, which allowed the market to rally. So it was unique because it was a global pandemic and it was unique because the timing of it really showed how powerful options are. So that was a powerful experience. The London's terrorist bombing was obviously an incredibly tragic event. Nobody ever wishes for that. You know, it's incredibly tragic. Like the, our, everybody on the desk, our first reactions were just like our hearts sank when we heard about the news. But we also had books, you know, we had our own accounts that we had to manage and we had to trade and like, hey, how do we avoid losses and make money in this? And so we all kicked in the gear. Me being, you know, one of the younger ones on the desk, my first thought was, okay, there's a terrorist incident in the UK. Money's going to leave the UK and go to safe haven. So what did I do? I sold the pound, which was the obvious play. The obvious play was sell the pound. That should have been the first thought in every trader's mind. But then people who are a little bit more experienced are like, which currency is the pound going to depreciate against the most? And they figured Japanese yen and Swiss franc because those are safe haven currencies. So they made more money because they picked currencies that sold off even more. More. And the most experienced on the desk were like, pound's going to sell off against everything. So they sold the entire basket and they made a killing on that day because they had the experience of realizing, hey, pound's going to lose against everything. Let's sell it all. And so that taught me a very valuable experience of how experience matters in the markets. We all had certain skill levels that were relatively equal, but some of us had more experience than others to translate the event into better trading ideas. And so that was very powerful. And then the flash crash, the S&P flash crash was, you know, that was what, May 6, 2010, I believe. The S&P 500 had dropped over 100 points in a matter of like two hours. People have been freaking out because the S&P has sold off 45 points from the highs. Imagine that happening. And that's over a period of what, six weeks, seven weeks since the, this year opened. Imagine the S&P 500 doing double that in two hours. Like what would that have done to people's portfolio? So, you know, I have been exposed to events like this literally once every two years for the last 20 years. And that experience has been valuable to me. All of them immense learning experiences. You're into neuroscience. So how do you apply this to trading? I know you must apply this to trading somehow. Tell us about your, this passion for neuroscience that you have. Yeah, it started. Um, so in the early or mid 90s, I was um, finishing my undergrad in philosophy. And I, I have always from very early on been curious, why do I think the way I do? What is it about my mind that makes me think the way I do? What is it about my brain that makes me think the way I do? How could I improve memory? How could I improve learning? How could I improve mental performance? So this question has always been in my mind since the 90s. And that was my focus in neuroscience at that time. I, my focus in neuroscience was human learning and memory. That hasn't stopped over the years, but I recently saw a podcast several years ago on neuro, by a neuroscientist, and it rekindled this interest. Uh, and then it, it had always been there, but it kind of relit the fire again. And so, you know, after reading more and more books on this and really kicking up the neuroscience learning, you know, I've decided that I'm going to graduate school to get my master's and PhD in neurobiology. And so it is now, now, you know, here we are 2022, the technology is way better than it was 25 years ago, you know, and so we're able to understand more about how the brain affects performance, sleep, making decisions, managing emotions, um, memorizing data in the charts, patterns in the in the price action, um, how to manage these emotions, how to manage these thoughts, what how does sleep affect our performance? How does caffeine affect our, you know, biological performance? We know a lot more 
than we did when I was going to school, hundreds of times more. And so for me to be able to study how the brain affects performance is important because that's my main tool. I'm not an athlete swinging a baseball bat. I'm not a pitcher throwing a ball. I'm not a quarterback throwing a football. It's not my brain in my body. My main tool is my brain. My body is a tool, but not to the same degree as my brain in this. So if my brain is my most important tool, then I need to sharpen that and put that in a position to where it's going to be functioning the most optimal way. And so that comes from little things. Like if you notice my charts do not have red and green candles, they're blue and white. Why is that? Because the color red can trigger stronger neurological responses in the brain than blue or white, which is much more neutral. And so instead of triggering like a fear response, when I see that big red candle, I don't have the same neurological response because it doesn't trigger that my brain in the same way. So I do everything like I do everything I can to optimize my brain to make sure that everything I do in trading is optimized from the sleep schedule to the learning schedule. Um, concentration, very important. You know, you have to concentrate to be able to trade. Well, what is one of the main factors that allows you to concentrate besides attention? Like what's the main biological thing that allows you to concentrate? We actually need a chemical. You need a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, which allows you to focus and concentrate. But our brains don't have unlimited stores of that. It takes time to produce stores of this chemical that allow us to concentrate. And so after about an hour and a half or two hours, those stores tend to get depleted. So I know once I start hitting that hour and a half, two hour mark, it's probably good if I take a break because then that gives my brain time to build up those stores again. So these are all the little details that are available now that weren't available 25 years ago. And so for me, I try and leverage how the brain functions most optimally how it learns, how it remembers, how it concentrates, how does it pay attention? How do I direct my focus? How do I use this brain in the best possible way so that I can maximize my opportunities? So hopefully one day in the next year or two, I'll write a book on you know optimal trading performance and using neuroscience to empower your trading to the next level. What um, what would you say is like a, a tip you can leave them with, right? Something you can leave the folks here with, not just the current current students that are listening to this, but to the other folks that are listening to this in some other uh, podcast place. Yeah, you know, so over twenty something years, I've I've seen a lot of traders come and go, and I've seen a lot of students come and go, and you know, everybody seems to spend a lot of time looking for the strategy thinking that if they have the strategy that makes money, that they will make money. And I've seen that attempt or that approach fail, not just thousands, but maybe millions of times over. And it forced me to look at what do traders really need to make money trading consistently? And I boiled it down to four skills. So all traders need something that helps them make buying and selling decisions. That's the strategy. But that's that by itself is not sufficient to make money trading because you also need risk management. That's the second skill you'll need to make money trading. If you have poor risk management and a good strategy, you will lose more money on your losses and you'll win less money on your wins. And so risk management either leverages the mathematics for you or against you. Bad risk management leverages the math against you. Good risk management leverages the math for you. But those two alone are not enough to make money trading because you could have a good strategy and good risk management but what if you have a bad mindset? What if you have a hard time pulling the trigger when your setup comes? Or what if you have FOMO? Or what if you have confirmation bias? Or what if your emotions derail you from making a good trading decision? So you need mindset as a skill 
to make money trading, but then you need one more skill. And if you have all four of these skills, you will make money trading. And that last skill is the analytical skills. And I don't mean the ability to look at the charts and analyze that. I mean, you have to be able to look at the data on your performance on a regular basis. Look at all your trades, see where are your strengths and weaknesses, which strategies do you overperform and underperform? Where are you extracting alpha consistently? And where are you leaking alpha consistently? If you're able to analyze your own data, then you can augment your weaknesses and you can kind of further galvanize your strengths and leverage them even further. And so over 21 years, I've learned that it's not the strategy by itself and it's not risk management by itself and it's not mindset by itself. It's not analytical skills. It's all four of those. And if a trader can build all four of those, they will pull money out of the markets consistently. But if they're missing any one of those, they will struggle to consistently pull money out of the markets. So somebody's goal should always be to build those four pillars. If they build those four pillars, they will pull money out of the markets. But if they're missing any one of those, they will never have consistency because there's no consistency in your trading unless there is consistency in your mind. Super, super important. Well, thanks a lot, man, for being here with us today. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy and, and uh, I will see you in the school. It was a pleasure. Good seeing you.